It's good to be together today. We are actually concluding our study on Philippians. We've been studying this book this whole month. And so we are doing the fourth and final letter today. And of all the letters Paul wrote, Philippians is the most personal. He knew this group of people, this church, the best. And of all four letters, I think the fourth letter is the most personal of all his letters because it shows a giving and receiving of friendship. And that's what a relationship is, that you give, but you're also able to receive. And so in this chapter, we're going to see the first half is Paul giving, and he's going to give instruction and a little bit of correction and encouragement. And then the second half of this letter is him thanking them because of what they gave to him, that they supported him financially and provided for his needs. And so we're going to look at that today. I'm going to spend the majority of the time on the first half of the letter. We're going to go pretty much line by line through the first nine verses. And then starting at verse 10, I'm going to just read straight through the second half because we only have 30 minutes. And so I've decided to focus on the first half of this letter. So when we're nearing the end of our time and you're like, she is only on verse nine, don't despair. That is by design. And then we're going to just read the rest of the verse together. So let's begin. Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now, right here, starting this first verse, we see the miracle that has happened in the heart of Paul because he was a former Pharisee. And the fact that a former Pharisee would call a Gentile a brother and a sister, a dear friend, that right there shows the miracle-working power of the gospel of Christ. Pharisees would separate themselves. They were a sect within Judaism of people that, that would separate themselves. Their name, they believe, was derived from the word of detach or separate. That's what Pharisee means, as best they can understand. Because they would separate themselves from any group of people that were different from them and not following what they were following, especially a non-Jew, especially a Gentile. And so for someone, for Paul, someone who was a part of that group, that sect of Pharisees, to call Gentiles a friend, not only a friend, not only a brother or sister, but his joy, the crown he received, like the wreath that you'd place on a winner's head. For him to say that about this group of people shows the gospel power of Jesus Christ transforming Paul's heart all those years ago. And it's a beautiful thing. Now I appeal to Yodia and Sintiq. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my workers, whose names are written in the book of life. And so right here, we're, we're starting to get into some of his uh, correction and direction because he sees a problem. Paul sees a crack in the wall. Because as believers, we are supposed to be linked arm in arm together. Linked side by side in unity with no crack for the enemy to get in and cause disruption or offense or a lack of unity. Picture like a... Uh, Red Rover, Red Rover, back in elementary school, where you're linked arm in arm, and you're like, okay, we're not going to break. And no matter who they send over, we are not 
going to break this link. And that is how we believers as a church should be linked together. But Paul's saying, "Uh uh-oh, I see a crack. I see a crack here. I see two arms that aren't linked together. I see a space that the enemy can get in there and cause division and weaken this church that I love so much. And so he's making a point to talk about this in front of everyone. Can you imagine? They're all gathering together to read this letter. Like, come on, Paul wrote us, get together. And you get to this part of the letter, the end of the letter. And he's like, all right, you two. And he puts their business on blast in front of everybody. Can you imagine the awkwardness of the person reading it? Anyone else want to come up here and switch spots with me? But he sees something important. He sees something very serious. He sees a crack in the unity of that church. And he wants this church to stand firm. So what he does is he takes this issue and makes it a very public issue. He takes their disagreement and he makes it a thing that the whole church is to deal with. Can you just, can you imagine if I did that today? What if I got up here and was like, Eli and Jordan, you need to work it out. This thing, this argument going on between you, you need to, you need to settle it. This is important. And not only that, but I'm asking all of you here and all of you watching at home, you all need to make this an important matter and you need to help them settle this. It's that important. This whole church needs to be involved in helping them settle this disagreement. Oh my word, y'all would be so mad at me. I would be mad at me. All of us would be so mad if we actually put into practice what Paul was doing here. But it's not a small thing to have fellowship disrupted. It's not a small thing, and Paul knew that. And so he was saying, come on, we got to work together. Don't let this tension stay between you. Don't let this offense last. And I love that he doesn't just write them off like, oh, just just go put those two women in the corner and just leave them alone and go on without them. Just do the work. No, no, no. He reminds them, these women have worked hard. They are doing good work for the kingdom. And I love that he's like, and their names are written in the book of life. This is him being like, look, we're all going to heaven. We are all going to heaven together, Lord willing. And so we need to work together to settle this disagreement. Verse four, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. This verse right here, this has given me a lot to meditate on these past two weeks. That no matter what we are going through, and I thought it was amazing that this was kind of the theme of worship and prayer today. No matter what we are going through, we are called to rejoice. We are called to be full of joy because everything that's happening to us is wonderful. No, but because we have Christ. We have a savior who stepped into the fabric of our time that he created and gave us ransom for the things we did wrong. And he said, you have eternity if you want it. And then for those of us who have accepted that, we have reason to rejoice every day, no matter what our circumstances, because we have him. And there is always a new character trait of God that we can rejoice and praise and be glad over. And there has never been a time in my adult life, at least, where I have needed to be reminded of this verse more. Because there is so much anger and fear and shaming and condescension and ignorance and confusion in the world today. And not just in the world, because 
I don't really expect anything different from a world that has nothing unifying us like Christ. But we see this in the church, this treatment of each other in the church, not just this church, but the church at large. We, this has been such a good reminder of me, to me that we are to rejoice and not to get caught up in the despair and the anger and the confusion I've been thinking a lot about how I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't like discomfort. I don't think anybody does. But Christians are called to a life of discomfort. That's the calling. It says that we are to die to our flesh, to die to ourselves. And that's so tough for us to grasp, especially, I think, in this country, because our comforts are just so readily available. We have so many options of everything. And if you can't guarantee that I'll have fun, that I'll enjoy it, that I'm safe, that it'll be worth my time, ah, then I'm not interested, because there's another option right around the corner. And I've been examining my heart these past few weeks and asking myself, am I a Christian tourist? Am I just the tourist of Christianity? No offense to tourists. I love being a tourist. I lo- when you're a tourist, you're visiting someplace new that you've never been. And you get to go to this place and you get to have experiences and there's an expectation that it's fun. There's an expectation that it's a good time. And if something doesn't meet that expectation, often you can complain and get compensation, right? So if I go and I'm on a vacation and I pay for a hotel room and that hotel room's AC didn't work all night, then I'm going to go down to the desk and I'm going to just mention, hey, I didn't have AC, and I paid for a room expecting AC. So what are you gonna, how are you going to fix this, right? So they can either you know, take some money off the top of what I paid. They can get me some free meals. They can upgrade my room to a suite for no charge. I don't know, but they got to fix it, right? Because I've paid. And it's the same thing when we go, like if you visit Disney, and sometimes if your expectation isn't met with what they've promised, They'll do just about everything they can to make it right for you. And so I've been wondering if my Christian experience doesn't feel like my Disney experience, am I out? Am I complaining? Do I have a bad attitude? Am I, am I in my heart wanting some kind of compensation from God? God, this is getting uncomfortable. This is getting inconvenient. This isn't what I expected when I, when I just said I, I would follow you. And so please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is not me making a political statement about masks or no masks or when to go to school or don't go to school. Take this circumstance out of it and place any circumstance we're going through from our past that we'll go through in our future. My call as a Christian, my direction is to always be full of joy. So whatever I go through, it doesn't matter What's the circumstance? I will rejoice because I'm rejoicing in Christ. I'm rejoicing in him, not my circumstances. And that's what we're called to as Christians. Verse five, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. The excitement of the anticipation of the Lord's return should change how we treat people. It should change how we act in our relationships. And there's no, this Greek word, whatever that Greek word is, there's no English word exactly, uh, to translate it exactly right. And so some versions, this version says considerate. 
Other versions say moderation. Some say gentleness. And so I'm going to give you just several more words to try to convey what this word means. Let everyone see that you are fair-minded in all that you do because Christ is returning soon. Let everyone see that you're ready to forgive, that you're unwilling to retaliate, that you're gentle, that you have an attitude that's willing to yield. An attitude that's willing to yield. An attitude that would rather suffer harm than cause harm. He's saying, look, if you know, if you believe part of what we believe in this Christian faith is we believe that the Lord is returning and he's going to set all things right and there will be nothing hidden and he's going he's gonna to make everything right. And so when you really believe that, then you act differently. I don't have to be right all the time. I don't have to win every argument with my husband. I don't have to make sure I'm not misunderstood at work because maybe they don't know that I should be getting the credit for that thing that someone... I can be, I can yield easily because you know what? I trust that he's coming and he's going to put everything right. And so I don't have to be the one who's right in every situation. So it causes me to treat other people with gentleness, with consideration, because you know what? Christ is coming and he's the vindication. I'm not, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying if you're in an abusive relationship, then be abused or that we don't fight injustice. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in how we treat our relationships, the attitude I have for the people that I love, for people I don't know, should be one of consideration. It's like when you're a kid and your sibling's driving you crazy and maybe they've been doing all the wrong stuff all day, stealing your stuff, punching you, whatever. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm just gonna hit Jared. I'm just gonna hit Jared, because he deserves it, because he's been driving me crazy. But, oh, it's six o'clock, and dad's going to walk through that door anytime, or mom's coming home, or she's coming. And if I hit him and he cries, I'm going to be the one in trouble. And it's not going to matter. He's driven me crazy all day long. I'm, so, you know what? I have an attitude that will yield, and I'm going to let it go, because she's gonna, my mom's going to go home, my dad's coming home, and he's going to settle it. And that's the attitude that we are to have with each other and other people. Verse six, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This church in Philippi was being persecuted. So I just want to throw that out there before we look at this line. And it's not like he's just like, ah, life's good. Don't be upset. You don't get your vacation. Don't worry about it. They were under, the city was not, was not friendly to Christ followers here. And we know that worrying doesn't do anything. Like we know no matter how much I worry, if I just let myself worry all day, it's not going to change anything. We know that. We know that cognitively. We also know that it's a sin if you're a believer to, because it stems from unbelief of a distrust in our a sovereign God who is good. We know all this and yet we still worry, right? Some more than others. But I think it may be safe to say that everyone experiences worry and anxiety at some point in their lives, some, some more than others. Paul says the remedy for anxiety, the remedy for worry is prayer. Prayer and gratitude, thanking God. And this is an exchange that we have to do of specific requests, not just prayer like, 
hey, God, bless my day. Help me with everything that's taking our specific requests, our burdens, and laying them one by one at God's feet and saying, I need you to take this burden from me. When I was a child, my cousin and I went to my aunt and uncle's house to spend the night. They just did a special little special little day for their nieces. And we got to spend the night and go shopping the next day. And so we were in their guest room sleeping. Before we fell asleep, we heard this big bang outside the walls. It felt like something was hitting the walls. We could hear shuffling. We were like, oh my word, there's a burglar. A burglar is trying to climb in this window, and we were terrified. So my cousin Emily and I, we just laid there together like listening. You know how it just feels like time, you hear every little thing and goes on forever. So it felt like we were up all night. I don't know if we were. Eventually we fell asleep. The next morning we get up and my aunt and uncle greet us. They say, oh, how'd you sleep? We're like, terrible. There was someone trying to break in the window. We were so scared and we just didn't, we, it was terrifying. And they were so upset because they said, why didn't you wake us up? Why didn't you come get us? Why would you stay awake all night worried? We would have put your mind at ease. We would have checked outside. Turns out there's the, the garbage bins were there and raccoons had knocked it over and were getting through the trash. Not a burglar. But how much more do you think God feels that way when looking at us? And he sees us up at night worrying. What, how am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to do for my, my daughter who's starting to make decisions? I can't control her, but these decisions are going to affect the rest of her life. What am I supposed to do for work? How am I going to pay this bill? And God's sitting there going, come to me, take it to me. Bring it to me. Do you remember that feeling when you were a kid? Hopefully you had this when you were worrying about something or we were afraid and you would go to your parents and you would finally tell either your mom or your dad and they would pick you up in their arms and they would hug you and you would just like bury your head in their chest and they would put their arms around you and you would tell them what you were afraid of and they would say, it's okay. It's okay, I'm gonna take care of that. Or I'll be there with you, whatever the case was. And as you just sit there and as your face is buried in their body and their arms are wrapped around you, you just feel. You feel the anxiety release. You feel the fear release because dad's going to take care of it or mom's going to take care of it or grandma or grandpa. That is the exchange that needs to happen in prayer, that we are going to God with a specific need. God, this is the thing. This is the thing keeping me up at night. This is the thing causing me anxiety. And I'm going to crawl up here on your lap, and I'm going to keep bringing this to you until I get that exchange, until I get that exchange of peace, where I know that you're going to take care of whatever happens. You've got me. And that is what he's talking about with prayer, that kind of an exchange of my worries for his peace. And I'm not going to leave your lap until I know, until I feel that anxiety leave my body. And I can trust that you're going to take care of it. And so it may be something you have to take to God every day to get that exchange of his peace. When we bring our anxiety to him, when we bring our worries to him, and we thank him for what he has done. <clears throat> and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Is that all? 
That's all I have to do? Oh, just think about everything good and true and perfect? Awesome. That's tough, right? That, that's so nice to read and sounds so wonderful, but the reality of that is really difficult because of two reasons. The outside world is not like this. The outside world, anything you read, if you turn on the news, if you scroll Facebook, there's a lot of negative things, a lot of bad things, right, going on in the world, a lot of broken things. And so the outside world does not line up with only thinking lovely, true, wonderful things. <clears throat> the second challenge to this verse is that my inside world is not like this. My thinking is a Pandora's box of bad thinking, Worry, fear, lust, jealousy, anger, low self-esteem, you name it, it's in there. It's a rich tapestry of bad, bad ideas, bad thoughts. And so when he says this, when he gives us this challenge, it is quite a challenge. And I want to be clear that he's not saying that we just cover our eyes and plug our ears and go, la, 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 I'm not going to see. Okay, so if I only have to think good things, then I just can't see anything bad in the world, and I'm just going to live in this fantasy land where I don't hear and I don't see anything. No, that's not the call that a Christian has, because we are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that means we are to be the ones fighting injustice, dismantling racism, feeding the hungry, protecting vulnerable children. We have work to do. So it's certainly not saying, oh, Christians, you get to disengage and you just get to live in a fantasy land because it's better for your mental health just to not see anything bad. No, no. The, what he is saying here is the way we get rid of wrong thoughts is to put in right thoughts to put in what is good. And so this means as I go through my day, I have a filter. And yes, I'm reading. Yes, I'm seeing. Yes, I'm engaging in things that don't feel good, things that are broken. But I filter through and I say, okay, but what thing am I going to meditate on the rest of the day? What thing am I going to keep thinking about? What thing am I going to bring up later at that dinner party? And we filter the things that we choose to let our thoughts focus on. The scripture that I read this morning, the documentary or the biography I read of that person who's doing great work in the world, who did great work in history. We, yes, we engage, we are a part of the brokenness of this world, but we choose what we meditate on day and night. When our thoughts go idle, we choose good things to think about. We choose to think about what Christ says about a situation. We focus on the good work. We focus in our mind on hope while we work against evil and brokenness. And keep in mind, he said this to a persecuted church. He was saying, you think about what is lovely and good. All right now we're going to switch gears because now we are come to the part, the last part of this letter where he switches and now he's going to be thanking them He's given them instructions, his final thoughts, but now he's going to be thanking them because they have helped him and supported him. So I'm just going to read through uh, the final 10-ish verses. <clears throat> but I'm going to read it the way that I see this, and I realize you could see it differently, that's okay. But I think what unfolds here is a painfully awkward exchange of him trying to thank them for the money they've sent him. And this brings me peace and comfort because I'm, does anyone else feel weird when someone blesses you with money or a gift and it's just like, it, it encourages me that maybe Paul felt a little awkward. He was grateful, but maybe he felt a little uncomfortable. 
um, as he's trying to and attempting to thank them for what they did. And so what I see here is a bunch of clarifications. He says a statement, he's like, but not that, and not that. So let's just, we're gonna read through this together. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. Is it my only one that sees like anything he's saying? He's like, I got to clarify. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Man. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we're going to come back to this to end on. I'm going to finish, but we're going to end on this verse. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more and am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So the last verse, I just want to take a moment to jump back. He says a lot in there. There's a lot of good stuff. We just, 30 minutes, there's not time to go line by line through everything. But I want to jump back to close on this verse. Because this is a this is a fantastic verse. This is a verse that's quoted a lot and memorized a lot, but I think it is often used out of context of, of what Paul meant for it too. Because we use this, for I can do everything. The more common translation people memorize is, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthen me. And this is like our verse that we use for like super Christian I can do it all. I can do anything. And God's going to make me successful. But I want just to note the context that this is set in. Paul is talking about not having enough, of, how, of having lack. And he said, I have learned the secret of how to be content in any situation when I have enough, but when I don't have enough. And that secret is that I can do everything. I can a better way to understand this is if we put it, the word without. I can do without everything through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying, I can get through it. When I didn't have enough, when my belly was hungry, when I didn't have the resources, I can be content because I believe that I can get through it. I can do anything because Christ gives me the strength to get through it. And that's different than how that verse is mainly, you know, how we, myself has done over the years. 
you know, like, I'm going to start a business. I can do all things through Christ and strength. I'm never going to fail. It's like, okay, I start your business. But that's not what that verse is promising, that you'll never fail because he's going to give you superhuman strength to be good at anything you ever do, whenever you want to. This is saying, you know what? The times when you have lack and you don't think you can get through it and you think, God, Paul's saying, I have learned how to be satisfied because I know I can do without anything because Christ gives me the strength. I can go without a meal. I can go being in prison. I can go be, I can withstand being beat up because he gives me the strength. This chapter gives us so much to live off of. If you figure if we only lived off this one chapter of the Bible for the rest of our lives, we would look so much like Jesus. If we, if we, insisted and, and made sure that there was never uh, offenses between us, never disagreements that caused a break in relationship. And if the whole church community was committed to helping us all work through our issues, if we never worried about anything, but ext- instead took that to Christ and exchanged it for his supernatural peace, if we did that with everything, if we received that peace that comes from, from being to crawl up on his lap and say, please, take this. It's keeping me up at night. If we rejoice through every circumstance, no matter what is going on, if we said, I can rejoice, and I'm going to rejoice today because Christ, this, this, and the, every, listing every quality of Christ that we love. Man, if we just did those things, thanking the people who have supported us, how, how much would we look like Jesus with just these 20-something verses? Let's stand and pray today. Father, we thank you for the book of Philippians. We thank you for your word. God, that's something we can rejoice in today, that we have scripture that we believe was inspired by you to guide us into all truth. Father, I thank you that you came down in the flesh. You experienced and felt what we feel. So that we have a Savior who can really comfort us. Because you get it, God. And we just want to take a few minutes, Lord, to rejoice in you. To have our hearts choose to be full of joy. Because you're good, God. You are good. And you are going to come and make right every evil, every wrong, every injustice. You are going to settle that. You haven't forgotten, Lord. You're waiting. You're giving time for, for all men to come to you before that day comes. We praise you, God. We praise you that you, you know everything. There's nothing that gets by you. I thank you that you're a father. I thank you that you give us wisdom. I thank you you've given us the Holy Spirit. I thank you that you're gentle with me. I thank you for the cross. That you paid the price for my sin. There's so much uh, that I deserve. Bad things I deserve because of the things I've done in my life. But you came and you said, I'll pay that ticket. I'll pay her, her debts. Thank you, God. We choose this morning to have our hearts rejoice because of your goodness. Because of you, God. You are good. You are faithful. You are honorable. 
Thank you, God. Help us, God. Help those of us who struggle with worry and anxiety. Lord, that's a real, it's a real um, thing that we wrestle with. And I don't make light of that issue, God. We're asking, help us, God. Help us with it when anxiety takes over and, and our body reacts and we have panic attacks. God, we need you. We need an exchange of your grace to help us with our fragile bodies. I hate when my body betrays me, when my flesh, I'm like, no, don't do this thing. But God, I fail. And Lord, I thank you that your grace is there to forgive me, that you're with me, that you comfort me. God, I pray every person here today leaves encouraged and full of joy because we have you. In Jesus' name, amen.